section 38 of the underground railroad part 5 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by maria casper the underground railroad part 5 by william still section 38 portraits and sketches francis ellen watkins harper Part Four. Private Lectures to Freed Women Desiring to speak to women who have been the objects of so much wrong and abuse under slavery, and even since emancipation, in a state of ignorance not accessible always to those who would or could urge the proper kind of education, respecting their morals and general improvement, Mrs. Harper has made it her business not to overlook this all-important duty to her poor sisters. The following extract, taken from a letter dated Greenville, Georgia, March 29th, will show what she was doing in this direction. But really my hands are almost constantly full of work. Sometimes I speak twice a day. Part of my lectures are given privately to women and for them I never make any charge or take up any collection. But this part of the country reminds me of heathen ground, and though my work may not be recognized as part of it used to be in the North, yet never perhaps were my services more needed, and according to their intelligence and means, perhaps never better appreciated than here among these lowly people. I am now going to have a private meeting with the women of this place if they will come out, I am going to talk with them about their daughters, and about things connected with the welfare of the race. Now is the time for our women to begin to try to lift up their heads, and plant the roots of progress under the hearthstone. Last night I spoke in a schoolhouse, where there was not, to my knowledge, a single window-glass. Today I write to you in a lowly cabin, where the windows in the room are formed by two apertures in the wall. There is a widespread and almost universal appearance of poverty in this state where I have been, but thus far I have seen no or scarcely any pauperism. I am not sure that I have seen any. The climate is so fine, so little cold, that poor people can live off of less than they can in the north. Last night my table was adorned with roses, though I did not get one cent for my lecture. The political heavens are getting somewhat overcast. Some of this old rebel element, I think, are in favor of taking away the colored man's vote. And if he loses it now, it may be generations before he gets it again. Well, after all, perhaps the colored man generally is not really developed enough to value his vote and equality with other races, so he gets enough to eat and drink and be comfortable. Perhaps the loss of his vote would not be a serious grievance to many. But his children, differently educated and trained by circumstances, might feel political inferiority rather a bitter cup. After all, whether they encourage or discourage me, I belong to this race, and when it is down, I belong to a down race. When it is up, I belong to a risen race." She writes thus from Montgomery, December twenty ninth, eighteen seventy. Did you ever read a little poem, commencing, I think, with these words? A mother cried, Oh, give me joy, for I have borne a darling boy. 
a darling boy, why the world is full of the men who play at push and pull. Well, as full as the room was of beds and tenants, on the morning of the twenty-second, there arose a wail upon the air, and this mundane sphere had another inhabitant, and my room another occupant. I left after that, and when I came back the house was fuller than it was before, and my hostess gave me to understand that she would rather I should be somewhere else, and I left again. How did I fare? Well, I had been stopping with one of our teachers, and went back. But the room in which I stopped was one of those southern shells through which both light and cold enter at the same time. It had one window, and perhaps more than half or one-half the panes gone. I don't know that I was ever more conquered by the cold than I had been at that house, and I have lived parts of winter after winter amid the snows of New England. But if it was cold out of doors, there was warmth and light within doors. But here, if you opened the door for light, the cold would also enter. And so part of the time I sat by the fire, and that and the crevices in the house supplied me with light in one room, and we had the deficient window-sash, or perhaps it never had any lights in it. You could put your finger through some of the apertures in the house, at least I could mine, and the water froze down to the bottom of the tumbler. From another such domicile may kind fate save me. And then the man asked me four dollars and a half a week, board. One of the nights there was no fire in the stove, and the next time we had fires, one stove might have been a second-hand chamber stove. Now perhaps you think these people were very poor, but the man with whom I stopped has no family that I saw but himself and wife, and he would make two dollars and a half a day, and she worked out and kept a boarder. And yet, except the beds and bedclothing, I wouldn't have given fifteen dollars for all their house furniture. I should think that this has been one of the lowest-down states in the South, as far as civilization has been concerned. In the future, until these people are educated, look out for democratic victories, for here are two materials with which democracy can work, ignorance and poverty. Men talk about missionary work among the heathen, but if any lover of Christ wants a field for civilizing work, here is a field. Part of the time I am preaching against men ill-treating their wives. I have heard, though, that often during the war men hired out their wives and drew their pay. And then there is another trouble. Some of our northern men have been down this way, and by some means they have not made the best impression on every mind here. One woman here has been expressing her mind very freely to me about some of our northerners, and we are not all considered here as saints and angels, and, of course, in their minds I get associated with some or all of the humbugs that have been before me. But I am not discouraged. My race needs me, if I will only be faithful, and in spite of suspicion and distrust I will work on. The deeper our degradation, the louder our call for redemption. If they have little or no faith in goodness and earnestness, that is only one reason why we should be more faithful and earnest. And so I shall probably stay here in the South all winter. I am not making much money, and perhaps will hardly clear expenses this winter. But after all, what matters it when I am in my grave, whether I have been rich or poor, loved or hated, 
despised or respected. If Christ will only own me to his father, and I be permitted a place in one of the mansions of rest. Colonel J. W. Forney, editor of the press, published July 12, 1871, with the brief editorial heading by his own hand, the document appended. The following letter, written by Mrs. F. E. W. Harper, the well-known colored orator, to a friend, Mr. William Still of Philadelphia, will be read with surprise and pleasure by all classes, especially supplemented as it is by an article from the Mobile, Alabama Register, referring to one of her addresses in that city. The Register is the organ of the fire-eaters of the South, conducted by John Forsyth, heretofore one of the most intolerant of that school. Mrs. Harper describes the manner in which the old plantation of Jefferson Davis in Mississippi was cultivated by his brother's former slave, having been a guest in the Davis mansion, now occupied by Mr. Montgomery, the aforesaid slave. She also draws a graphic picture of her own marvelous advancement from utter obscurity to the platform of a public lecturer, honored by her own race and applauded by their oppressors. While we regret, as she says, that her experience and that of Mr. Montgomery is exceptional, it is easy to anticipate the harvest of such a sowing. The same culture, the same courage on the part of the men and women who undertake to advocate Republican doctrines in the South, the same perseverance and intelligence on the part of those who are earning their bread by the cultivation of the soil, will be crowned with the same success. Violence, bloodshed, and murder cannot rule long in communities where these resistless elements are allowed to work. No scene in the unparalleled tragedy of the rebellion, or in the drama which succeeded that tragedy, can be compared to the picture outlined by Mrs. Harper herself, and filled in by the ready pen of the rebel editor of the Mobile Register. Mobile, July 5th, 1871 my dear friend, it is said that truth is stranger than fiction, and if ten years since some one had entered my humble log-house and seen me kneading bread and making butter, and said that in less than ten years you will be in the lecture field, you will be a welcome guest under the roof of the President of the Confederacy, though not by special invitation from him, that you will see his brother's former slave, a man of business and influence, that hundreds of colored men will congregate on the old baronial possessions, that a school will spring up there like a well in the desert dust, that this former slave will be a magistrate upon that plantation, that labor will be organized upon a new basis, and that under the sole auspices and molding hands of this man and his sons will be developed a business whose transactions shall be numbered in hundreds of thousands of dollars, would you not have smiled incredulously? And I have lived to see the day when the plantation has passed into new hands, and these hands once wore the fetters of slavery. Mr. Montgomery, the present proprietor, by contract, of between five and six thousand acres of land, has one of the most interesting families that I have ever seen in the South. They are building up a future, which, if exceptional now, I hope will become more general hereafter. 
every hand of his family is adding its quota to the success of this experiment of a colored man both trading and farming on an extensive scale last year his wife took on her hands about a hundred and thirty acres of land and with her force she raised about a hundred and seven bales of cotton she has a number of orphan children employed and not only does she supervise their labor but she works herself one daughter an intelligent young lady is postmistress and i believe assistant bookkeeper one son attends to the planting interest and another daughter attends to one of the stores the business of this firm of montgomery and sons has amounted i understand to between three and four hundred thousand dollars in a year i stayed on the place several days and was hospitably entertained and kindly treated when i come if nothing prevents i will tell you more about them now for the next strange truth enclosed i send you a notice from one of the leading and representative papers of rebeldom the editor has been or is considered one of the representative men of the south i have given a lecture since this notice which brought out some of the most noted rebels among whom was admiral semmes in my speech i referred to the alabama sweeping away our commerce and his son sat near him and seemed to receive it in much good humor i don't know what the papers will say to-day perhaps they will think that i dwelt upon the past too much oh if you had seen the rebs i had out last night perhaps you would have felt a little nervous for me however i lived through it and gave them more gospel truth than perhaps some of them have heard for some time a lecture we received a polite invitation from the trustees of the state street african methodist episcopal zion church to attend a lecture in that edifice on thursday evening being told that the discourse would be delivered by a female colored lecturer from maryland curiosity as well as an interest to see how the colored citizens were managing their own institutions led us at once to accept the invitation we found a very spacious church gaslight and the balustrades of the galleries copiously hung with wreaths and festoons of flowers and a large audience of both sexes which both in appearance and behavior was respectable and decorously observant of the proprieties of the place the services were opened as usual with prayer and a hymn the latter inspired by powerful lungs and in which the musical ear at once caught the negro talent for melody the lecturer was then introduced as mrs f e w harper from maryland without a moment's hesitation she started off in the flow of her discourse which rolled smoothly and uninterruptedly on for nearly two hours it was very apparent that it was not a cut-and-dried speech for she was as fluent and as felicitous in her allusions to circumstances immediately around her as she was when she rose to a more exalted pitch of laudation of the union or of execration on the old slavery system her voice was remarkable as sweet as any woman's voice we ever heard and so clear and distinct as to pass every syllable to the most distant ear in the house without any effort at attentive listening we followed the speaker to the end not discerning a single grammatical inaccuracy of speech or the slightest violation of good taste in manner or matter at times the current of thoughts flowed in eloquent and poetic expression 
and often her quaint humour would expose the ivory and half a thousand mouths. We confess that we began to wonder, and we asked a fine-looking man before us, What is her colour? Is she dark or light? He answered, She is mulatto, what they call a red mulatto. The red was new to us. Our neighbour asked, How do you like her? We replied, she is giving your people the best kind and the very wisest of advice. He rejoined, I wish I had her education. To which we added, That's just what she tells you is your great duty and your need, and if you are too old to get it yourselves, you must give it to your children. The speaker left the impression on our mind that she was not only intelligent and educated, but the great end of education, she was enlightened she comprehends perfectly the situation of her people to whose interests she seems ardently devoted the main theme of her discourse the one string to the harmony of which all the others were attuned was the grand opportunity that emancipation had afforded to the black race to lift itself to the level of the duties and responsibilities enjoined by it you have muscle power and brain power she said you must utilize them, or be content to remain forever the inferior race. Get land, every one that can, and as fast as you can. A landless people must be dependent upon the landed people. A few acres to till for food, and a roof, however humble, over your head, are the castle of your independence, and when you have it you are fortified to act and vote independently whenever your interests are at stake that part of her lecture and there was much of it that dwelt on the moral duties and domestic relations of the colored people was pitched on the highest key of sound morality she urged the cultivation of the home life the sanctity of the marriage state a happy contrast to her strong-minded free-love white sisters in the north and the duties of mothers to their daughters why said she in a voice of much surprise I have actually heard since I have been south that sometimes colored husbands positively beat their wives. I do not mean to insinuate for a moment that such things can possibly happen in Mobile. The very appearance of this congregation forbids it. But I did hear of one terrible husband defending himself for the unmanly practice with, well, I have got to whip her or leave her. There were parts of the lecturer's discourse that grated a little on a white southern ear, but it was lost and forgiven in the genuine earnestness and profound good sense with which the woman spoke to her kind in words of sound advice. On the whole, we are very glad we accepted the Zion's invitation. It gave us much food for new thought. It reminded us, perhaps, of neglected duties to these people, and it impressed strongly on our minds that these people are getting along, getting onward, and progress was a star becoming familiar to their gaze and their desires. Whatever the Negroes have done in the path of advancement, they have done largely without white aid. But politics and white pride have kept the white people aloof from offering that earnest and moral assistance, which would be so useful to a people just starting from infancy into a life of self-dependence. End of section 38